This podcast is recorded in a house with animals. Some of them are outside. Most of them are inside. I will mention that the teenage chickens, they're, they're teenage chickens really by now, have begun to, to squonk more than cheap because their little voices are changing and it's adorably awkward. Other than that, there's a tortoiseshell cat. There's dogs. You, you probably know the drill by now if you've been listening a while. If you've been listening well, you also know that we swear. Oh, do we ever. I don't feel the urge to really expound on this at all. We have to mark this as explicit because we say curse words. That is all we say. And we will not treat you to a blow-by-blow of anyone's prostate exam or anything. Just the swearing. At least not this episode, but I can guarantee you swearing this this time. Welcome to Productivity Alchemy episode 107. This week, we start talking about cooking with Dino. Not like chopping Dino up and cooking him, but discussing cooking and things about cooking with Dino Sarma, who I know several of you are pleased is is a returning guest. Dino's always fun to talk to. Wait, is this about productivity and cooking? Yes, it is, actually. Okay. We we talk about uh, prep, we talk about meal planning, we meander all over creation because that's kind of what we do. This is Meal planning is very important for uh, productivity. And not just in terms of like a single meal or a week's worth of meals, but we also talk about doing holiday meals or group meals. Uh, we also talk about the equipment used that we use because he and I have different styles, right? Mm-hmm. He does kitchen like professional chef cooking and his idea of a quick meal is my idea of about an hour of, Oh my God, how am I going to get all this done in time? And why am I doing all this work for two people? But he makes it efficient. Do you talk at all about uh, cooking decision fatigue? Uh, Not this week. I haven't finished listening to all of the interview. I, because I know that's something you and I run into a lot is the, there are a vast number of meals available to us. Neither one of us gives a shit or wants to be the one who decides. Right. This is very true. And uh, so frequently we sort of wind up, what do you want? And then we go to the decision tree. Do you want to cook? Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah. I, I admit the the weeks... I sat down on, like, Sunday and sort of did a quick meal plan. We're going to have this food on this day, and we're going to have that food, and I'm going to leave. Or at least these are the, the meals I'm going to cook this week, and then that leaves with some wiggle room for I don't feel like cooking. It's been a hard day at work kind of thing. Uh, that was an immense help, and I got out of the habit. Perhaps this is a habit we should get back oh, into. This is probably a habit we should get back into. Absolutely. So this week... Mm-hmm. We went to San Diego Comic-Con. We did. That consumed the entirety of my week. I accomplished very little, except I got ideas for comics, <laughs> which, again, uh, Kevin has orders to bury me in the backyard if I start another webcomic epic. So Right. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, so she's doodling, but don't, no promises, no deliverables. Someday I'll just, like, wind up with, you know, three quarters of a comic book. And yeah. be like, now I will find someone to pay me to finish this. There you go. In the meantime, there are doodles, there are snippets that show up on Twitter. And really the big thing the last 
several days has been making sure where it places on time. Yeah. What time's the signing? What time's the panel? Who's meeting us where? Are we having dinner with people? I mean, a lot of it was sort of... Banal. Yeah. It was nice, however, to get out of the crowds and go to the hotel room and just sort of chill. Uh... My big thing, I am not really interested in 99% of the uh, media-related stuff at SDCC. It's great if you are. More power to you. I hope you have a fabulous time. Not my thing. Um, There's a tortoiseshell cat yelling. Yes. The number of things I would wait in line for any length of time for, let alone days, uh, is rapidly approaching zero kind of uh so uh, not my thing again but what i do wind up doing is wandering around buying lots of little tiny independent artist art books and i oh oh yeah yeah i it, it's a dangerous con for that for me i came home with a stack probably a foot 18 inches high you did and they Took up most of the weight in your suitcase for their trip home. Yes, they did. They did. I regret nothing. I, I regret nothing either. I got some things for the kids. I found uh, Comics for Peace, which is a group out of Pakistan. And I'm really excited to be to, to read their stuff. It's, it's in my to-read pile now. And maybe we will be able to arrange a chat with them and how they stay productive at some point in the future. And uh, other than that, you know, shout out to Sofa Wolf who let me crouch behind their desk yes. or table um, and who was carrying a bunch of my books from both them and Fur Planet uh, or Argyle Press, which is yes. sort of part of Fur Planet. And so they had a bunch of my books. And uh, it's also, I mean, if I was going to get philosophical, it is a whole, it is very impressive statement on the power of storytelling i kept thinking yes because you're wandering around and there's 130,000 people there because of stories oh yeah and they are dressed up as people from stories and it's uh, when you strip away all of the the rest of it it's it's about storytelling and yes there's lots of you know big money and people complain about that in their you know looking for ideas but what they're looking for and the reason they're there is because People like stories. People will spend money for stories, and stories have enormous power. So, and that was nice because, frankly, a lot of times these days, when you're a storyteller professionally, uh, you get a real case of the uh, what the fuck am I doing? I'm writing stories about, you know, (laughs) paladins falling in love and the world is crashing and burning. Why have I not? thrown it all in and I'm just out there planting trees in the dark of night uh, to try to sequester carbon. And it's the, I mean, we are all, I think, suffering a, a certain, um, and hopefully fighting against a certain, <laughs> I don't want to say apathy, but despair about the world. And it's hard when you can't even, you know, pretend that what you do is vital, except that, Storytelling kind of is vital, and it's nice to be reminded of that with, you know, 130,000 people could be wrong, but are unlikely to all be there at the same time, or not wrong about the fact they like stories. So, right. Yes. And I'm going to talk probably more about that 
as I start prepping for convention talk season. I can't say anything. I'm still, I can't say anything about when and where yet, but that's next week. I believe there will be an announcement. At least according to the email I just got. So <laughs> that's exciting. Wow. What uh, else is exciting is this interview. This interview. Uh, this is p- part one of at least two, maybe three. While you were out of town, while you were at your family thing, Dino and I sat down and started to talk about cooking and prep and the tools we use and all of that sort of thing. And... It just sort of went from there. So there are diversions, there are tangents, but overall, it was such a great discussion. I'm really happy to bring the first part of it to you folks this week. Uh, I will warn you that somewhere in there, and I don't remember if it's going to be in this segment or the next segment or the potential segment after that, uh, we do talk about uh, privilege and discrimination in politics. So this is your kind of warning. In advance of that bit. The heavy stuff warning. The, the heavy stuff warning. And I think the heavy stuff comes more towards the end of the overall discussion and not so much this early portion. This early portion, there's a lot of back and forth about quick recipes and things <laughs> like that. Uh, I will admit that there was less alcohol in either of our systems when we started in this portion of the of the talk. So there's all that, and you know what? We'll just get right into it after this. Okay, folks, uh, I am here with Dino. We're going to talk about cooking because it's something we're both passionate about. And we figured that if we spend all six hours we've got blocked talking about (laughs) cooking, then I've got like three episodes worth of of stuff. (laughs) So we're going to talk about this because it's something we're both passionate about. Right? I mean, you more than me, but because I'm, I'm much more the amateur and you're the former professional. Right. Like if you were if you were uh you know a golfer you'd be the retired prof- you'd be the retired pro <laughs> you know working in the pro shop and coaching on the side. Yes. Yeah. And I still do coach on the side. Um I still do teach cooking classes from time to time um because I feel like if I can share what I know maybe somebody else can, you know, pick up on my techniques or whatever. And to be honest, from teaching the cooking classes, I, I feel like I've learned more than I've taught, if that makes sense. Uh, that that makes sense, because somebody will come up and say, well, what about this technique? And you're like, oh, yes, yeah. that technique. And then you have to go research it because it's not one you've used. Exactly. And, yeah. and it's also like, well, why do we do things this way? And I'm like, because my mom did. Uh, that's not a good answer. Right, right. <laughs> and I want to make uh, – there was something I was thinking about this morning in the shower. And that is I want to make a distinction, right, between yeah. cooking and baking. Yes. Because they really are two different things. 
They're two different beasts, but the thing is, is that I learned over time that baking is a hell of a lot more forgiving than people give it credit for. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, so there's this chocolate cake recipe that I make, um, that I've made like a thousand times where, um, you know, during that world war two rationing bullshit oh, yeah. where they yeah. couldn't have eggs or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so they would come up with these recipes to try to like mimic what they used to have sort of thing. Um, and the chocolate cake is basically pantry ingredients. It's like flour, sugar, water, uh, cocoa powder, vinegar, um, and like a pinch of salt. Uh, and I think it's baking soda or baking yeah. powder or both. I can't remember which one. Um, and yes, you're supposed to measure by weight and yes, you're supposed to like do everything just so, but I've learned over the years that like, I can fuck with it and it's still fine. Like it comes out delicious. Chocolate is chocolate. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but there's, there's also a, a part of it. Like if you're doing something very, very specific, like there are parts that aren't very forgiving. Shoe pastry is not Correct. very forgiving. Right. No. Um, and, and some like Lord help you if you fuck up the yeast or your starter for yeah. uh sourdough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but like there was this recipe that I saw on uh, on the YouTube for um, these uh, biscuits that are they, they call them rolled biscuits where mm -hmm. um, you basically press flour into a pie pan um, and then you mix flour and lard or shortening or whatever. Right. Um, and a bit of buttermilk. And then you pretty much just incorporate it and you go by feel. And it's this like very loose sort of situation. Um, and then you pinch off bits of it and kind of like roll it into balls and throw it into a, like a cast iron skillet or something like that and bake it. Yeah. And they do technically measure, but they measure by like saying like, here's the lump of fat that you want to have in here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you put in yay amount of milk um, and it will sort itself out eventually and you will be okay. Um, and Sure as shit, those biscuits came out looking fucking gorgeous. It was, right. it was, oh, mwah. it was, it was, oh, yeah, no, perfection. somewhere, somewhere those have been handed down, you know, originally person, uh, mother to daughter, mother to daughter for yeah. hundreds of years. So, yeah. yeah. And my meemaw made it this way and she would use this specific dish and mm -hmm. she would use this specific cuff, cup and like all the rest of it. Um, and meanwhile, they're not really measuring because she's literally like grabbing handfuls of flour out of the bag or the canister anyway. Right. Um, and, and it works out just fine. So like, I, I think the biggest takeaway that I want to give people is mm -hmm. like, chances are it's going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's a little I, salty, yeah, meh, you know, <laughs> but if, 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 if you overdid the pepper a little bit and it's, it's a little more intense than you wanted, you're, it's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. Just it's use fine. less next time. Use less next time, and and chances are, like, it's going to be at least edible. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, cooking is one of those great things where you get to eat your mistakes. Yes. Um, I remember this one time um, I was home with my dad because my mom was out of town, and um, I had made this uh, this south indian soup that you make where it's like you put a mess of vegetables in the pot uh throw in some water throw in some fenugreek seeds maybe a pinch or two of turmeric uh curry leaves ginger garlic onion whatever just let that whole mess like boil for a while until everything's cooked um and then you add coconut milk um and 
I had slightly overdone it with the coconut oil to the point where there was like a inch thick slick on top of that. (laughs) 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 And I called my mom in a panic and I was like, mom, I screwed up the soup. There's way too much coconut oil on top. She was like, Dino, you didn't make a mistake. You made a recipe. That's actually how they make it in Sri Lanka. (laughs) (laughs) Just skim that off. It's fine. It's fine. No, no, no. no. She said, keep it in there. Let it boil in properly. And it's going to taste fantastic over rice and sure as shit. It tasted fucking fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I did a thing in the Instant Pot the other night, uh, an Italian sausage. And they're like, now, it's really best if you put it in the fridge and you let the fat separate out overnight and just skim that off. And I'm like... This is fine. I don't see why I need to take the fat out. I mean, my heart may be saying, you should have taken the fat out, dude. <laughs> but but at the end of the day, bitch, I paid for this fat. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And and Whether the flavor was not was, was negligibly different. Uh, oh, I, I yeah. can probably bet you money that it tasted fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So with 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 cooking, um, what I've learned over the years is uh, when I was writing the book, um, I, I might have mentioned this in previous interviews, is that um, if you don't know the technique uh, with regards to organizing yourself, mm-hmm. uh, every recipe is going to take way too long and use way too many dishes and it's going to make a giant mess and you're going to be pissed off you know, long after it's done, because although it tastes good, it's going to take you hours upon hours to, to prepare and clean oh, yeah. up and the rest of it. So um, I used to tell my uh, uh, my ex-husband when, when we were living together, um, I'm always going to need an onion in something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm it's always going to need a pot of boiling water for something. So like, if you're, if you want to help out and you know that I'm going to be late coming home, Throw a pot of water on the stove, let it come to a boil. Chop up an onion. Chances are I'm going to use it in something. Yeah, exactly. And, and if I didn't intend to, we're having onions in it now, bitch. That's what's happening. That's how it works. <laughs> and we have this preconception or this notion, thanks to cooking shows. And I want to yeah. say that, thanks to cooking shows, that we should prepare everything in advance and lay it out yeah. on a tray and individual things. And that way we can just put it out and just grab and go and... That's because the host on a cooking show doesn't have to, time to show you the chopping and also yeah. has a staff to take care of that form. They are not chopping that in advance. They have people. Well, we aren't. And, and you see that in restaurants, too, where, mm-hmm. like, you have the mise en place where everything's all laid out for you. But, like, when I worked in the restaurant, I had, like, three guys working under me who I could say, like, hey, I need to go do the payroll right quick. Can you all sort out the chopping of this, 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 and this? I'll be right back and call me when it's done. Um, I don't have that at home. With no. As much as I wish I did, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I have a I have a teenager, and I'm sure with enough instruction, he could become that sort of a, a help in the kitchen. But yeah, I don't think he wants to. And there's a big difference. No. Yeah. No, and 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 honestly, like I've had people who ask me, like, "Hey, can I help you out?" And to be honest, um, I would prefer that you don't because I can probably <laughs> do it better and faster. And faster, yeah. <laughs> So usually what I'll do in those cases is like, um, here's some potatoes, peel them. I'll use it in something. It's fine. Um, it'll, it'll keep you busy and you know, you still get to hang out with me in the kitchen and the food is still going to be great. Um, but 
the one time I had let um, one of my friends' dad help me chopping with the potatoes, everything was inconsistently sized. Right. And that's something I'm bad about, is consistently sizing when I cut things up. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's it's such a pain in the ass to make something when everything's inconsistent sizes because nothing's ever cooked at the same rate properly. Right. And so, like, fully everything turns out either blown out and overcooked or like hard in the center and i was just like okay i made that mistake once i'm never making it again <laughs> right so just do it yourself yeah there's a there's a, a part of uh, that i i want to take like a knife skills class at the culinary yes. school just to find out either how bad i am at it or to improve what i do do because like if it says chop in chunks i'm gonna chop in chunks they're not gonna be Consistent. Perfect. Well, they're not going to be perfectly consistent. They might be close. So what I did to up my game with regards to consistency of sizes mm -hmm. is that um, I started becoming very good at cutting things into half. Right. So you cut the half and then you cut the halves in half and then you cut the halves and halves and halves. Um, and generally people are pretty good at eyeballing where the halfway mark is. Like, that's not too ter terribly difficult. Um, and I stopped worrying about, like, getting it, like, perfectly, like, you know, like, when you're chopping an onion, like, everyone's like, oh, do the long way cuts and then do the crossway cuts and then yeah, yeah, chop yeah, 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 yeah. whatever. Um, I was like, yeah, but this takes too long and it's a pain in the ass. So what I ended up doing is I'll just chop off both ends, mm -hmm. um, chop the onion in half, and then half, 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 and then cross, 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 cross. And it's done. Yeah. And generally, it's good enough. Onions onions are a little more forgiving, though, than, say, potatoes, where you've got one the yeah. size of your fist and you've got one <laughs> the size of, you know, the the head of this microphone, which is not very big. No, right. But for potatoes, what I end up doing is that I'll choose the smallest one. Mm -hmm. um, I'll chop that in half, and then aim for the same size with everything bigger. Okay, more okay. or less. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it generally tends up ends up working out just fine um, because the, potatoes are forgiving with regards to like if you're roasting them or mm -hmm. or deep frying them or whatever. They're probably going to be fine. Yes. Like they're they're pretty cool. Um, carrots are my pain in the ass. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, because I tend to get the um, the sallow carrots in the in the bag, um, mm -hmm. and always they have these really broad shoulders and the skinny little pointy tip. Yep. And I'm like, I fucking hate you. <laughs> <laughs> See what I what I do with those is I, I will cut them in half, right? Okay. And then I use the smaller end as is where I'll if I'm doing like rounds or something, I'll slice uh, that. And then I take the bigger end, I slice that in half until it's, and, and half again until it's about the same size as the skinny end. And then I yeah. chop that up, right? Yeah, and it works out. Yeah, yeah. Unless I, I need those big medallions, like, for the, I have to dig up a recipe, because I was talking about how awesome it was, and now friends are like, I need that recipe, so. <laughs> um, which is honey, gla honey cocoa glazed carrots. Woof. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's really. awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just. Carrot medallions glazed with honey and then some cocoa powder. It's uh, if I could find it, it was like dirt simple, but a, a good impact. I could totally see that working also with maple syrup and um, uh, cinnamon. Yeah, uh, maple syrup and cinnamon. Yeah, that's uh, a very uh, that would be more Canadian than really. I mean, but I mean, yeah, yeah, 
<laughs> I spend way too much time in Canada. That's why I thought of this. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Supposing um, I'm coming over to your house for the first time um, right. or however many times. Um Generally, I, and 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 my friends always make fun of me for it. As soon as I walk in the door, I run into the kitchen and set a pot of water on the boil immediately. Right, because <laughs> I know it's going to take the longest, and mm-hmm. I don't want to sit around here twiddling my thumbs waiting for the water to boil. Then I'll give everyone hugs and say hello, and you know, pour out a cocktail, and you know, yeah, that whole yeah. thing. Um, but like, if if you can get yourself in the habit, there, there's this little book that I read years and years ago. It was some um, uh, book about like French cooking for home cooks, mm-hmm. um, and he was like, "You can do this in 30 minutes if you follow these certain habits." Um, you know, like we always ask, like, "What are your systems and habits?" And he's like, "Well, one of the things that you want to do is the second you walk in the door, throw that pot of water on the boil immediately." Right. Because chances are you're going to need it for something. And he's like, then take off your coat, then hang up your keys, then take off your shoes and the rest of it. He's like, but start with the water as soon as you walk in the door, because by the time you've taken off your coat and hung up your keys and made a cup of coffee or, you know, Mm. had a cocktail or whatever, uh, that water's probably going to be boiling by now. Yeah. And I mean, I find that with KUEC when we're doing the food podcast is Mm -hmm. when we're setting everything up. When we're recording everything and we're trying to figure out what we're going to eat, <sighs> despite the horror or whatever, there's, <laughs> I'm always like, okay, what am I going to need to put in the oven? Yeah. And what am I going to need boiling water for? Because yeah. if I like do the boiling water at the, the moment we hit record and I've done the whole, this is episode, whatever, and then yeah. I start boiling the water, it's going to be an extra 20 minutes. Yeah. You know, if I start it before we do the the uh, the audio tests and all the intros and stuff, there's a chance that maybe it'll actually be boiling when I'm ready to cook that thing. Right. And, you know. and, and that's also what happens when um, when when I get home from work on weeknights is like um, uh, so. Uh, real talk for the past month and a half, I haven't cooked anything because I've been hit by that seasonal effective bullshit. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which is weird because it's summer and it's rainy and dreary. outside. Oh, is it rainy and dreary in Jersey this year? We have not seen the sun since yesterday. It's um, so we went from winter, which mm -hmm. was shitty into spring, which was also shitty. Yeah. um, Fully into summer, which has been full on shit. Like this (laughs) entire time, like, Every day I wake up and it's dreary and it's yep. foggy and it's raining and I'm just like, I fully cannot cope with this. So yeah, I've been eating out, which is, I I don't like eating out. My cooking's better. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, on the West Coast in Seattle, they're going, I don't see what you're complaining about, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> and London is like, bitch, hold my beer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but because of the seasonal effective, right. um, I've been like, dinner has been like a can of Pringles and a glass of wine. Like, it's not been great. Um, oh. But uh, I'm not judging you. I'm just I'm just sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like. I feel like if I'm honest about that, mm. um, 
regards to like, I haven't had the energy to cook. I haven't had the motivation or the wherewithal to cook. Um, Other people who are going through the same thing won't feel so much shame about their lack of motivation to cook. No, that's that's completely fair. And I mean, I know I have days where it's like, all right, it's time to cook dinner. Why am I fucking doing this? Why am I doing this? Yeah, I am. You know, I've had a bad day at work or I didn't get enough sleep or and now cooking. I mean, I need to feed myself, but cooking is an absolute drag and or just that's I spent all my my energy or my spoons on whatever was leading up to it. Yeah. Right? And it's like, I still have, and I still have to do a podcast and, uh, and that's at least I have a partner who's like, do you want me to go get Taco Bell? <laughs> Can we order Chinese? <laughs> well, it's more, do you want me to go get Chinese? Cause the only thing that fucking delivers out here is Domino's. So, Hey, now, um, of all the delivery pizza places, Domino's at this point is possibly the least evil. <laughs> Listen, I'm not mad at the Domino's. I'm just like, why the fuck does nobody else deliver? Jesus Christ, people. Would you would you like to see the jungle that is our front yard? I mean, the, oh really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're we're three miles outside of uh, a small town in North Carolina, right? Wow. Yeah, no. So like, if I were in Chapel Hill proper, if I were in Raleigh proper, or Apex, or Cary, or Durham, all the quote big cities of the Triangle, yeah, yeah I'd have Grubhub and shit. Like yeah. I might not have Amazon now, but you know there are there are options. Like the right. Chinese place, they're like, yeah, no, we don't deliver mostly because I think at this point they don't have kids anymore. Oh um, no, <laughs> their kids have their kids have 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 gone off to like college, right? Um, it's a little mom and pop place, sure, and it's the only Chinese place in town. At least you have one. Yes, we have one. We've got. I think we're about to get our our sixth Mexican place. Oh, nice. Which makes me happy. Uh, everybody's like, well, we don't need another Mexican place. Who's approving these? I'm like, the people who are no, paying for these are... we fucking do. Yeah. We fully do. I'm like, I'm like, you know what? If there's a demand, let them have all... Let's get all the Mexican places we want. Or, you know, if, if people are coming and buying Mexican food at six different places every night and they can all stay open, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to be honest, like, this is why I think mm-hmm. immigrants make our country so great is because, yeah. like... They bring their fucking food. Like, <laughs> yes. Like, I want you to come to my country. I want you to bring whatever weird ass shit that y'all eat back oh there here. Yes. Because I want to eat all of it. Please, uh, uh, if there are any people in Tibet listening currently, there probably aren't. We're probably blocked. But um, <laughs> y'all need to bring some of that food here. Yeah. Or if you're in Nepal, bring some of that food here. I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah. No, uh, Pittsburgh. I don't know how it would go over, but I I miss my Sampa. Yeah. I, I miss I, I actually had to dig through and research tea to find out why I'm in America and I'm having black tea and I was having black tea in Tibet and China. Yeah. And it was so much better there. Well, that's because it's different fucking tea. Correct. Right? So now I've got I've got um uh pu'er being delivered later today which is uh-huh. the Chinese black tea versus what the Chinese consider red tea, which is what we consider black tea. And I'm like, oh, you're fucking kidding me. Uh... You know? And I'm like, no wonder it's so... Yeah. But uh, but there's there's a big difference. The cultural differences in foods, and even though there's some similar techniques, uh, you have to be aware of that. Because yeah. like, if you say black tea, and if they say black tea in a recipe for, for Chinese food, it's completely different than black tea for... India or 
Correct. America and England, or it's it's very very different, and that has a big impact on the on the flavor. And and thank fuck for those different uh, mm. different nuances in the flavor. Because, oh god, yeah. like it just makes it more interesting, doesn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. Like I would have never. Now I'm now once the the puer gets here, once the proper tea Chinese tea gets here, I'm like I need to do tea eggs again. Yeah, because I've been using British, you know, or American Which black is tea. Not it. Which is, uh, it's delicious. I'm not going to say it's not delicious, but now I'm wondering how it changes if I've got the proper fermented tea versus, right? you know, the dried shit that we have. Well, and so there's this tea shop in uh, northern New Jersey um, called uh, Sinophilia. Um, and it's this little Chinese lady who moved into this dink-ass town um, and opened a tea shop uh, doing... <clears throat> like boba and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, she knows the tea growers in China mm-hmm. um, that she imports from, and she specifically gets like exactly what she wants. Um, and when you walk into her shop, if you want to taste any of the teas, she'll mm-hmm. do like a quick little Chinese tea ceremony for you, oh, yeah, you know, with yeah. the little teapots and everything. Uh, so you can taste it. And so that you know what it's supposed to be like, you know, as you brew it and the rest of it. Um, it was a fucking revelation, Kevin. It was like, oh, so this is what I've been missing all this time. Right. Or or at least this is what the British would would have us not do. And the British right. are full of shit sometimes. So <laughs> <laughs> sorry Please to everyone who's bags. listening. I, and, I, yeah. I have no respect for British tea because they use tea bags. Fuck them. Yeah, well, Yes. So there's, you do there's not the, use tea bags. That's disgusting. That's floor sweepings and dust. Fuck dear, you, dear, dear British listeners. This is not aimed at you specifically. This is much more general on your culture. Yes. No, this is not to be considered a personal attack. And also, um, I have been to the British Museum and enjoyed seeing all the things you stole very, very much. Very so, much. Yeah. <laughs> also, I'm Indian, so I get to have a grudge. Oh so yeah, you're me. allowed to have a grudge. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You come to my country. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how and to make the, tea. <laughs> yes. And goddamn, don't use the spices. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, no, I love yeah. London. I've been there many oh, God, times. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful city. Um, but fuck you and your lack of food. Yeah. Um, uh, the best the best curries I've had so far have been in London. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, because when Britain left, we're like, we're coming with. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to save you from your food yes yeah. because y'all don't know what you're doing what i what i want to do is i want to have apparently a japanese navy curry uh-huh because apparently when the japanese decided to make a navy and you know the japanese are very good at find the thing that works best and do it better yeah so at the time the british navy was the best okay so they copied everything in the british navy down to the menu Wow. Right? And so apparently the second best curry in the world is, uh, or was, on Japanese naval ships. Nice. Because that's what they were serving on the British naval ships. There, there's got to be a recipe for it somewhere. Oh, probably. Probably. If, if By the way, if, if someone wants to correct me on this little bit of urban legend and wants to, or has the recipe, send it. Share. Yeah. Share. Sa- share. Share. Yeah. Share with the class. 
And I think that that's that's uh, when we talk about all of the cultural influences, you don't necessarily have to understand the culture it comes from right. to get the flavors right. But it helps if you find someone who is already familiar with it to get the flavors. Like, no, fully. Yeah, like um, I had shit Mexican. There was shit Mexican around this area for years, and I thought that's what it was. And then I went to Dallas, and I had like real fucking Mexican, or not Dallas, <laughs> uh, Houston. Like yeah. the the back of somebody's house, they ha- were running this cantina, this restaurant, and I had real Mexican with you know actual um, spice with like uh, uh, cilantro and and garlic and onions and not yeah. the Tex Mex crap we're used to. And it was like, this is you know, it's not that I've been doing it wrong, but this is so much more than yeah. what I thought it could be because nine times There's out of so ten, much more nuance. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times you'll get in in a smaller setting like that, uh, you'll get something that is much, I'm not going to say authentic, but they're not trying to make in bulk. They don't have to make 50 gallons of salsa a day. Right. Yeah. And it's never going to be the same. Right. Or sometimes like, what the fuck? Oh, yeah, hound. I I think my tea just arrived. Um, (laughs) Somebody's turning around in my driveway. I think my tea just arrived. I'm not sure. Um... (laughs) You need to go take care of that. Yeah, no, no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Let me just put a mark here. We'll, I'll be right back, folks. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So, like, uh, one of the things I noticed in China, and I bought one of their um, teacups, one of the one of their travel teacups. Is they is is it's a, a it looks like a travel mug cylinder travel mug, but it's got a strainer in it. And mm. because of the nature of pu'er versus what we consider tea, um, they can put in a couple leaves and then. Make that, and then a couple hours later, when that one's done, they just pour more water over it. Yeah, you can use the leaves over and over much more than you can on ours. And, and that's that's why I like the Chinese tea because it's mm-hmm. like um, uh, back when I used to work for the uh, oh, Singapore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Singapore oh, hound. It's fine. They're allowed to exist. Yeah, they're they're. It's probably just one of the chickens has come up, or maybe. <laughs> Uh, maybe there's a squirrel about to be raiding the chicken food, and <laughs> squirrels apparently are not allowed to exist. I don't know. No, I remember with Gurr, he would just freak out oh my God. when anybody existed ever. Yes, yes. Even even if I existed, like, I'd come home from work, he'd be like, ah, I'm like, it's just me. He's like, oh, oh okay, yeah. <laughs> He was a good dog. Oh, he was, he was, he was a terrible dog, but he was very good at, at the same time. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've been listening to you guys for way too long. <laughs> uh, uh, what was the other dog? Brandon. Brand. Oh yeah, I miss my Brandon. He was such a sweet man too. He was. He was um, truly a good dog. I mean, he was. He was pure good dog. It was. It was. Uh, uh, that one. That one still hurts a little bit because it's been. I mean, it's. He was. He was my rock through the divorce, yeah. through all that stuff. So, yeah. Gert and and just he liked there. everybody to be in the right place. Well, that's that's just because he's a border collie. <laughs> yes. He was a border collie, and that's just border collies. <laughs> that's just how uh, they are. Uh, so we, I think we got off topic slightly. So anyway, yeah. I haven't cooked in a month and a half. Right. Um, but finally, uh, a, I think it was like Monday night or something, Tuesday, something like that. I got home and... Um, I was Googling these one-pot pasta dishes. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there's a 
like this is not some bullshit Sandra Lee, you know, <laughs> abomination. Right, right. Uh, it's an actual technique that Italian people are doing in like the really fancy Michelin star restaurants mm-hmm. in Italy, um, where they call it the risotto method. Um, so you dump everything into the pot at once, water, sauce, like spices, yeah. whatever the fuck else you want. And you just let her rip and it's fine. Um, like 10 to 15 minutes later, everything's done to mm-hmm. perfection. And and the beauty of it is that it absorbs the sauce and takes up all the flavors really, really well versus trying to do it where you boil the pasta. And then you um, I noticed that with all the really good Italian restaurants, mm-hmm. they have this like um, uh, pot that they specifically use just to incorporate the sauce with the pasta. Yeah. It almost looks like a wok, but with a flat bottom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 I've, I've done that with. Um... Like I'll make the I'll make a, a a fresh, just like something really simple: a little garlic, uh, some chopped tomatoes, a little basil, just just enough to get it to to where the tomato is is warm but not cooked. Right. And then I'll put the cooked pasta in that and let that sort of incorporate together. Correct. Yeah. So like you slightly undercook the pasta and then mm-hmm. let it finish cooking in the sauce. Yeah. Well, with this version, um, you basically just cook everything together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was something to the tune of like a um, couple of cups of uh, crushed tomatoes, a um, couple of leaves of basil, some capers um, because capers are great. Oh yeah. A yeah. uh, <laughs> little bit of slivered garlic. Um, I, I decided to add some um, uh, flaked almonds because why the fuck not? Yeah. Why not? Um, yeah. And uh, some linguine noodles. And then like, two to three cups of water and then you just dump everything into the pot hit start let her rip Mm -hmm. it's done um and it came out fantastic um and it's one of those dishes that i think is really great for when you're not necessarily in a rush but really really low on spoons yeah yeah, I, I actually collected. I've I've put on my my uh, Pinterest now uh, uh, a couple of places that are just um, dump and go meals for the instant pot. Oh, okay. Uh, are yeah. you sharing that on your website or something? Uh, my Pinterest is completely open, so you can see both the wonderful. Here's all the instant pot. Here's all the eggs, and here's all the conspiracy theories. Different boards <laughs> I have set up. The the conspiracy theories are there because they make me laugh. Yes, they're hilarious. Yes. Yeah, but um, uh, but all that's public, and I've I've linked to it in the past. So yeah, but I mean, it's like this whole concept with with the idea that you don't have to like sit down and say, I am now going to cook and I am now going to prepare all of this, that cooking can be measure stuff, throw it in a pot and walk away. Right. Is, is missed so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't have an instant pot, but I have a rice cooker that doubles as a pressure cooker. Yeah. Yeah. Same shit. Yeah. It's the same thing. Um, and it's like, I think people underutilize things like the pressure cooker, the instant mm-hmm. pot, or mm-hmm. or the rice cooker, or whatever, because it's like um, they're scared of it. See, my my whole reason for not using the rice cooker in more of a, a, a pressure cooker way is because then I have to like it's a pain in the ass to clean when yeah. you use the rice cooker for something like that isn't basically rice like every time i make oatmeal in it it's like oh god now i have to scrape all the now it scrapes right. yeah yeah even though it's it's a 
um, non-stick, it's like a completely different non. Yeah, put that in air quotes. Um, <laughs> like if I do something that isn't rice, it's it's a much bigger pain to clean. And right, you know, if I'm as a rice cooker as a single use thing, it's great. It's like throw in the rice, throw in the water, push go, walk away. Done. Right. Right. The instant pot. I'm f- I'm collecting the recipes to do that. Right. Except for ones that require rice, because I have a rice cooker that does rice so much better than it's going to be done in the Instant Pot. A hundred um, times. Yeah, yeah. But, like, there's one for, um, and I know this doesn't necessarily apply to you, but mm. there's one for um, a meatloaf and mashed potatoes. I mean, that's going to take a little more work, but doing both in the Instant Pot. So it's just like, yep, you, mm-hmm. when you push go, they're both done. Right. Which saves a lot of stress, because that stress about, is it going to be done at the same time? Right. Uh, when you're doing multiple dishes. And that's also something to touch upon is because <laughs> I watched Ursula melt down once. Oh, no. I did, because she's like, I will cook dinner tonight. And she got this thing, and she was she had the, the you know, the main dish, and she was doing this thing with, um, with uh, green beans, because we had some fresh green beans. And as it was reaching that crescendo where everything is going to be done she started to short circuit and melt down because okay. suddenly you've got to do the thing where the beans have to be doing one thing and the meat and the, and the coordinating and the organizing and, and all that. And it just did not. And like, if she was going to leave me that night, she cooked dinner and I wasn't appreciative enough, perhaps right. might've, might've been it might've been it. Right. Yeah. How'd you uh, recover from that one? Um, mostly I, I kissed a lot of ass. Um, (laughs) but that was one of those points where I realized that there is either a learned skill or something about when you're doing multiple dishes, having sort of that idea, not just the times in the cookbook, but having sort of a a plan of attack in your head as to when they're all going to be done. So they're all done at close to the same time, but you're not having to like juggle everything all at once. It's, it's more a learned skill than, than something. And it's it's worth touching on how do you deal with that? Because it's an organizational thing. It is an organizational thing. And um, from watching my mother cook all those years, mm-hmm. um, I, I realized that a lot of it is you've done it so many times that you pretty much know what's what sort of thing. Um, one of the biggest compliments that I get, uh, aside from how good the food is, is that like when the cooking's done, everything's done. Right. Yeah. Like that's, that's, I don't want to say it's necessarily like a gift, but it kind of is. And it's one that can be learned. <laughs> it's it, Well, yeah, it's a learned skill. Right. Right. I mean, um, yeah. So like when I started cooking very, very early on, um, I didn't, quite grasp that concept of like we can get everything done at the same time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and that it's all gonna go to table um and so i had numerous fuck-ups where it was like uh i i decided to like mash the potatoes way longer before than i should have and so now they're gummy and hard yep um meanwhile uh the the main dish is still finishing and i'm just like oh jesus these fucking things are gonna be a disaster and a half um forget how bad the gravy incident was i don't even want to talk about it (laughs) (laughs) the gravy incident yeah no that that sounds like a flashback in the making right there yeah 
like not since the accident type of thing. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) So, okay. So here's how I approach when I'm deciding to do like a full meal with like multiple sides and everything. Mm. Um, what I realized is that, like I said, always put that pot of water to boil first. Um, I'll always set the rice cooker to go because it has that keep warm function so that even if things run a little bit over, it's going to be fine. Um, if I have to throw anything in the oven, I deal with that first because I can just let it park. And chances are, um, you yeah. know, I can drop down the heat to the keep warm setting there. It's probably going to be fine. Um Anything that I have to do with regards to stovetop cooking, mm-hmm. that's what I handle last. Right. And I, like I love pretty much dead last. Yeah. I love the keep warm function on the instant pot. Right. And I love the, oh, it has one too. Yeah. 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 And I love the fact that the rice cooker is like, yeah, no, we will keep warm for as long as you want us to keep warm. For safety's mm-hmm. sake, you probably only want to keep warm for about 72 hours. Sure. But, you know, uh, you can, I can, do like a big pot of rice in the rice cooker on Monday and use it for lunches and dinners Tuesday and Wednesday. Right. Right. Um, The instant pot only keeps warm for 10 hours, Mm -hmm. but still that's like, yes, if I've, if the pressure's done and I haven't had a chance to go over and do the quick release or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. It'll, it'll take long to release on its own, but whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Like it's, it, chances are it's not going to do anything wonky right. uh, behind your back. So it's like, let that thing do its thing. Um, so say for example, uh, like a really simple meal. Um, let's say I want to do like roasted potatoes, um, rice, dal, uh, maybe some like green beans or something, and maybe some like spinach or kale or whatever. Just yeah, a yeah. simple meal. Um, so... <laughs> Just a simple meal. Just a simple weeknight dinner. Um, (laughs) So what I'll do is that I'll preheat the oven before I start anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I'll put a pot of water to boil so that um, if I'm making dal, it's usually going to be like red lentils or um, split and hulled mung beans or something like that. That's like 15 minutes to cook. So don't really need to worry too terribly much about that. Um, Once that pot of water is boiling, I'll throw the rice cooker on and let that guy park. Um, I know that the spinach or kale or collard greens or whatever are only going to take like five minutes of, um, you know, like boiling water done, whatever. Yeah. They braise, Um, braise, they braise so easy. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, So, so the rice cooker is going, the oven is mm-hmm. preheating. Um, I'll, I know that the potatoes are going to take the longest to roast in the oven. So I'll chop mm-hmm. them up, toss them in oil, throw in some spices, yep. dump that in the oven. Um, the secret trick for vegetables is pretty much 350 degrees at 25 minutes is probably going to work for pretty much everything. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do beets and kohlrabi the same way. Nice, 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 nice. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, beets, kohlrabi, a little olive, coat with olive oil, salt, pepper, throw it in the oven, 350, 25 minutes, give or take. And chances yeah. are it's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, if it goes a little over, it's fine. The, the, the beets will be a little softer. Like, yes. Yeah, the kohlrabi <laughs> goes to like butter in like about 15 minutes. It's the beets that always take longer. So, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, or, or like radishes or, mm-hmm. you know, turnips or rutabaga or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
so that goes in the oven. That's parking. Now I have leftover the dark leafy greens, the green beans, and uh, the dal, right? Right. So by now, the water's fully boiling. Mm-hmm. Dump in yep. the beans to cook in there. That's going to take about 15, 20 minutes. I'm just going to let that park. Right. Um, then... Like it takes zero time to like chop up the the dark leafy greens because I just tear them with my hands. I don't even bother using a knife. Right, it's right, yeah. Low effort. Um, and I have a hot water uh, electric kettle because I like tea, so you know that's oh, yeah, always yeah. there. Um, uh, so that I, I set a pot of water to boil. Um, and while that's going, then I'll chop up the green beans right quick. Mm. Um, and South Indian green beans, very easy to do. It's mustard seeds, cumin seeds, um, some asafoetida, some curry leaves, a little bit of turmeric, and then you just toss it in the spices, like almost like a stir fry, Mm -hmm. uh, for a few minutes. Um, and they get done in like five minutes. So now that's done. But I mean, you're toasting the spices first. Pardon? You're you're doing the thing where you toast the spices first. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. you pop them in hot fat. Mm-hmm. Um. And I personally add sesame seeds to everything because I like it. But yeah, yeah. You don't have to, right? Um. Now by the time the green beans are done, my hot water kettle has boiled the water. So then I dump that over the greens. Um. Let them wilt for a few minutes. Um. Drain off the water. Sesame oil, sesame seeds, garlic powder, salt, pepper. Toss, toss, toss. Done. Um. And so by by approaching my attack this way, I've gotten multiple dishes out of this. Mm-hmm. The rice cooker is now beeping and singing at me. Uh, the potatoes <laughs> are probably done to perfection. Yep. Um, and all of a sudden, like, I want to say in about an hour or so, I've got a really nice spread for whoever's coming over. Um, so, like, if you pretty much approach all of it this way, where it's like, I know these things are going to want to park and these things I'm right. going to need to pay attention to. Um, it's, it's terrible. It's really not that terribly hard to do. And especially with uh, something like a doll, like the simplest, most basic version uh, is called a dal tarka where mm-hmm. it's um, hot oil, cumin seeds, dump that on top of the cooked beans done. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the, the thing is that when, when we talk about this, it sound it looks impressive when it's done, but there's a lot right. of this is a fire and forget. That's a fire and forget. It's right. you get into trouble when you're trying to do a bunch of things that require a lot of work all at once. And correct. And we think that that's how it should be done, but again, when we look at like restaurants or cooking shows where people <laughs> are doing that, they have assistants. Yeah. Right. There is a guy whose job it is to do nothing but the green beans based on the chef's instructions. There is a guy whose job it is to make sure it's plated correctly every time. Right. It's not like the chef himself is doing this all on his own, like they would like the the cooking show or whatever have you believe. No, he's got somebody who's cut the beans for him and has done this and he's got, you know, and and we tend to forget that. The, when we're trying to do it ourselves, we're like, oh, God, this is so much work. Well, yeah, that's yeah. because we don't have a fucking staff. We don't have a staff and we right. don't have the big fancy stove and the big fancy ovens and like this huge counter space to do all the shit on. Like your counter is probably crammed with the with the coffee maker and with your blender and with all this other shit. So like oh, your yeah. working space is about yay big. Um how the fuck are you supposed to do all that shit with, um, you know, all these elaborate ingredients? Like, that's not how that works. Oh, no, no. And I mean, 
I lust after some of those stoves. Yeah. Like we were watching, there's this uh, cooking show about uh, where they go to a, a castle in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And they're recreating famous meals at these, from these manors mm-hmm. uh, from like 200, 100, 200, 300 years ago. And they will have, there's like this particular, and I cannot remember the name of it now, but it was like, I have to get one of these giant cast iron stove. Uh, the aga, the aga, yes, yeah, with the with the different burners and then the different temperature ovens, ovens, and once mm-hmm. you turn it on, that oven is warm forever because it's cast iron mm-hmm. and it's going to retain the heat. And you you forget that like in the big manor houses where they do these dinners, in the big kitchens, they have things like the aga. Well, no, the whole point about the aga is that mm-hmm. it never turns off; it's always right. on. Yeah, it's constantly fed by fuel. Yeah, I mean, most of the time they're gas now, not electric, because, oh my God, could you imagine the electric bill? (laughs) (laughs) But you don't have that. I mean, like, I have an electric stove, right? I need to to plan on that's going to take 45 minutes to preheat. Correct. Or maybe I need to clean it and it would take less time to preheat if it weren't, you know, 20 (laughs) years old and never been cleaned. Um, But... I mean that, but that's the whole thing. We we don't think that you know the stove that a big chef is using. Well, it's already hot, right? Right. Or the whole thing where you watch the cooking show where they put it in at the beginning and then they take it out fifteen minutes later when it should have cooked for an hour is because there there's somebody behind it swapping them out in the oven yeah. with one yeah. that has been cooking for an hour. Well, and that too, um, you see a lot of recipes where they're saying like, brown the onions for five minutes. And I'm like, bitch, when? Yeah. That's, no, it takes like 15, 20 minutes to brown onions properly because my stove is shitty. Right. And P.S. so are my pans. Yeah. Or even, even, even in the Instant Pot. Okay. Now, now, uh, um, put it on saute and put in the onions and saute and stir for about two minutes until clear. And I'm like, there's no world in which. No. A half an onion, even diced, is is clarified in two minutes. What no world are you Especially in? Especially not on the instant pot. No, no, even on saute. Yeah, that that saute function is not hot enough. I'm sorry. I mean, it'll brown ground beef, but it won't it won't clarify. It won't saute an onion to clear in two minutes. What what no, planet no. are you on? I don't know what planet they're on because yeah. I've used an instant pot before. I actually bought some uh, bought an instant pot for my friends for Christmas. Um, <laughs> And they use it all the time now. Mm-hmm. I don't have one because I have a regular pressure cooker. Right. Sorry, I have three regular pressure cookers. <laughs> <laughs> I have the seven liter Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what the fuck is that thing called? There's there's some fancy Hawkins pressure cooker that's like um, uh, anodized aluminum or something like that. Hawkins Futura. Um, if you have a chance, Google it. It's beautiful. Like, I'm, I'm adding links in this episode for that one. Futura, yeah. you say? The Hawkins Futura um, is such a beautiful looking pot. Like it, it looks so futuristic. Um, <laughs> it's aptly named. Like it's enameled on the outside, and then the inside is that um, uh, hard anodized aluminium. Oh yeah. Uh, absolutely great at what it does but it's seven liters so it's huge um then i have the two liter hawkins like regular pressure cooker then i have this fancy pants um italian version um let me go get it i'll show you (laughs) thing is next level yeah okay 
<laughs> the noise. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. All right. Let me see the top on that. I mean, the, that's that's a stovetop pressure cooker. Yeah. Of yeah. course. Uh, the brand is Lagostina. Okay. L a g o s t i n a. Um, and the thing is, is that you see how the lid is like curved like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. because when you lock it into position, the lid flattens out, so there's oh. no gasket. No. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the giant pain in the ass about a lot of pressure cookers is that that gasket wears out and you have to replace it and blah blah blah. But with this guy, um, I I just you know put the lid on and it, it stays put. Um, yeah. I can't remember how to flip it. Anyway, um, <laughs> but definitely Google the Lagostina pressure cooker. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's a really, really good model. Very, very heavy bottom. Um, food doesn't stick to it. Um, and because it's so large, what I tend to do is that I, um, I have one of those uh, Indian Tiffin boxes. And so I'll layer stuff in the pressure cooker where I'll put, you know, like beans on the outside and then on the inside, like I'll, I'll have one box with like potatoes or something. And then on top of that, I'll put like rice or something like that and let her rip on the, on the stove and everything's done at the same time. It's, it's fucking glorious. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of the things I, I, I want to really start experimenting with is, is those boxes mm -hmm. right? because if I can do a single meal in multiple layers in one shot yeah, versus the whole multiple pots. And I mean, that's sort of the power of the instant pot or a pressure cooker is you can do that with it that you can't necessarily do on the stovetop. Correct. Right. Um, but because that pressure cooker is so fucking huge, like, mm -hmm. um, I can, I can well stack them. No problem. Um, and I learned the technique from watching my mother cook in India. Um, so all my life, my mother did not own a pressure cooker until, um, God, when when did she finally cave and buy one? I can't remember. I remember us talking um, about this. I think either I, I think on the the initial interview, yeah, that yes. she didn't want one, and then suddenly she got one, and it was like, "Where's this been all my life? Where's this been all my life?" And 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 P.S. We come from India. We all use pressure cookers. I don't know why the <laughs> shit she held off so long. Like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. she was like, "Oh, the crock pot is easier. You just throw it in there, and yeah. you don't have to babysit it, and blah blah blah." Um, then all of a sudden, yeah, it was 2008. I was mm -hmm. in Roosevelt Island in New York. And all of a sudden, homegirl calls me and she's like, oh, Dino, um, uh, I made blah, blah, blah in the pressure cooker. And I was like, excuse me? When did you get the <laughs> pressure cooker? What is this about a pressure cooker? You hate pressure cookers. I never bought one because you hate them. Um, and she's like, so what had happened was... <laughs> <laughs> was visiting with the in-laws i saw how <laughs> easy everything was and uh now i have one and now i use it all the time and that's when i started yeah. you know with the pressure cooker obsession um i used to have six i believe mm. um but uh the ex took two of them and then one of them was completely shot so i threw it out but like now i'm down to three <laughs> down to three that's a, that's all right i i lost the kitchen aid in the divorce Oh, no. Yeah, fortunately, Ursula came with one, so I didn't have to buy another one. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you have a KitchenAid. Well, I mean, it wasn't that wasn't one of the primary reasons, but it was like a bonus of, uh, you know, we're really talking about moving in and, oh, hey, you have a KitchenAid, too. Oh, yes. Yay. Yes, this yeah. is great. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the X may have gotten the pressure cookers, but I kept the Vitamix because that bitch is mine. See now, and I don't, I don't, I, I don't do the Vitamix thing. 
I don't. Why not? I don't know. I mean, it, it never really had uh, uh, an appeal for me. It's worth every penny, Kevin. Really? Mm-hmm. All right. Now I got to look at the Vitamix. Yeah. Um, you want to look for uh, the refurbished model because they are significantly cheaper than the, you know, the, the, the new ones. Because um, they're still backed up by the same warranty. Right, right. And they've already broken once and been repaired. So, you know, so the curse is off of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's why I like that's why I like buying refurb hardware like computers right. is because one, they cost less. And two, it's the manufacturer doing the refurb, which means it's already been the, the new curse of, oh, God, what happens if it breaks is done. It right. already broke once. It's already been fixed once. You can relax. Um, relax. I won't do that with cars. I mean, uh-huh. Ursula was the one who was like, you bought a new car, so I'm going to take a hammer to it. And I'm like, no, t- time out. Time out. Do not put a dent in my brand new car, like literally brand new, like under, you know, a hundred miles brand new. She's like, but it'll take the curse off. And I'm like, no, no, you know, she buys a used truck and they're like, "Uh, do you want the collision warranty or this, that and the other in case it gets a dent? She's like, I'm going home and hitting it with a hammer. And everybody looks at her. It's like, yeah, no, she's she's taking the curse off. And I'm like, but no, you are not. I will deal with the curse on my car. Right. You know, I, I realize for you, this is a, a thing for me. This is, it's a little different. Um, and even though she bought a new truck and it didn't have a dent on it, I'm pretty sure she, she dinged one in while, while I wasn't looking. Uh, <laughs> that is the weirdest thing I have ever heard. Well, it's like, okay, it's already dented. I don't have to worry about denting it now. Kevin, why did you guys never bring this up before on the podcast? You, no, we've talked about, I thought, I swear we've talked about this. Um, Maybe it was on KUEC and we were drunk as fuck. Um, Chances are so was I. So they, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's that's the thing. Uh, like they were her poor the poor car dealer. And believe me, this is this is tangentially related. We'll get there. Is like, do you want the warranty on the rims? She's like, what are the rims? He's like, they're the the things that the wheels. You know, or the, the middle bit, the middle bit the that you tires, put the tires yeah. on and that, that go on the thing. And she's like, why would I want a warranty on them? So like in, in case one of them breaks, she says, if one of them breaks, then it's a stupid truck. And, <laughs> you know, she's like, they're like, do you want this warranty or that warranty? And she's like, why would I want that? Well, in case of X, she says, if it does X, you know, it's a truck. Right. Why Why would I care? Why do I want the fancy bed liner to protect against this, that and the other? It's a truck. This is like getting scratch insurance on a cast iron skillet. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, but it it all sort of blends together in that when you're buying equipment, whether it's a car, whether it's a, a computer, whether it's the Instant Pot or the rice right. cooker or the, oh my God, the Zojirushi uh, hot water thing for tea. Oh, Love I that thing. One of those. Yeah, no. I it. Worth every penny, but refurb is fine. Used is typically mm-hmm. fine. Um, I mean, you know, maybe if if it's you might want to be a little more careful about used. Like if it was used because it was, uh, you know, because they were boiling. I don't know, uh, cow urine samples in it. Maybe maybe a different used is better. Sure, sure. Right. Um, but you know, like an autoclave used is fine. Right. Not Cast that you iron need to, used is better. You, oh, absolutely. Get that seasoning on there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I have I have my grandmother's um cast iron somewhere. 
Uh-huh. It's in the attic. It's probably rusted. It's going to need to yes. be cleaned and, and reseasoned, but it's still going to be better than going out and buying a brand new one and having to season it myself. Well, so the thing about cast iron mm-hmm. is that in the old days, um, the cast iron skillets, they would like sand it down until it was smooth uh-huh. uh, and then put that manufacturer's coat of oil on so it doesn't rust. Um the newer cast iron, like the Lodge and the rest of them, they have that pebbly surface, which yeah. isn't so great. So, like, if you find an old-ass cast iron pan, chances are it's going to be one of those fuckers that's been properly ground down right. so that it's baby smooth. Yeah. No, these are these were my grandmothers in the 30s and 40s. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and that's when they used to do it, right. Yeah, but, I mean, still, even my, even my Lodge um, cast iron, I, I have my... I have a large um, Dutch oven because mm-hmm. even if I use it once every five years, there is nothing that there's there's nothing like that particular piece of application. And you can use it for so much if you're actually going to if you're doing that. I might use it every five years, but when I use it uh, those five years, it is amazing. Yeah, but yeah, no, uh, I, I have to treat it, and I have to, I have to make sure that it's, it's at least, oil, you know, properly right. washed and oiled, and not scrubbed down to the bare metal. So I have to go bake it with oil again to right. make sure it's, it's seasoned, you know, that it, it retains its non-stick. Right. Well, like I, mm-hmm. um, for when I make dosa, I always use my cast iron skillet. Right. Um, I, I, I specifically have one. Um, I think it's like a cast iron crepe pan or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it's. Nothing retains the heat in the proper because the thing about dosa and pancakes and mm-hmm. you know crepes and things like that oh, yeah. is that you want that heat to be even all the way through and you don't want spikes. Right. Otherwise, right. it's gonna get fucked up. So you know that whole trope about like the first one's always fucked up. Yeah. Not on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> the first one's always perfect because mm-hmm. I I use good pans um, yeah. that have that that solid wall of metal um, Mm -hmm. where I give it at least 15 to 20 minutes of preheating um, on very moderate heat because I don't want it too hot either. Yeah. Oh no. I, uh, there is. And I think, I think having good equipment, even if it's used good equipment is, is something that cannot be understated. You can get away with inexpensive, but you don't want to get away with, cheap and there's a big difference right. between inexpensive and cheap yes, um absolutely but like mom had this skillet mm-hmm. and it was i think just basically uh, uh not like a pan skillet but much more like a a a flat a flat top surface skillet uh-huh right uh it was like two burners wide and it was electric and it was a consistent heat and it made the best bacon and the best pancakes and the best uh fried eggs because it was that consistent heat it wasn't like trying yeah. to do it in an aluminum pan on a on like my stove where the burner is hotter and cooler and hotter and cooler because it doesn't maintain a constant temperature. Right. Right. Um, and I, I, you know, or your, your waffle iron, my God, right. mom's mom's electric waffle iron. Like it could be heating and cooling in the background, but because it's cast iron on the actual plates, mm-hmm. it, they retain, they would stay the same temperature, even if it was moderating differently in the back end to try to keep it there. Yes. You know, and uh, so much evener than, than like the, I, and I didn't have to flip it. Right. Right. Like the whole reason behind turning the Belgian waffle makers in the, in the, um, uh, like the hotels and crap is to yeah. maintain an even temperature. Correct. 
these older ones that were made of cast iron that have the big plates like that, mm-hmm. they did. You didn't have to do that. Well, and also, um, mm-hmm. I learned uh, the secret to waffle batter is mm-hmm. that you use more fat than the recipe calls for. Oh, okay, yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah. So if it says like add X cups of mm-hmm. oil or butter or whatever, um, add an extra couple of tablespoons. It's it's gonna help things out, right? Because I mean uh, the the. And I want to say uh, Alton Brown did some amazing discussion on the application of fat mm-hmm. um, and, and how it actually works in the, the science of it, um, yeah. which I'm not going to go into because I'll get it wrong and I don't remember it properly. <laughs> but and I mean, I'm going to I'm going to say this. I know some people or whatever, but his books, Alton Brown's books on um, I'm just here for the food and I'm just here for more food. Those two books will mm-hmm. teach you more about the science behind cooking. Than I think almost anything. Also, that Harold McGee book, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, um, is uh, what he references as where he learned all his shit. Yes. I cannot remember the name of that book to save my life, but if if, if the listeners want to give it a quick Google, Harold, M-C-G-E-E, Harold McGee, uh, he wrote like this the quintessential book about food science and why things are the way they are and why they work the way they do. Um, There's this recipe that I have for waffles that I've been making for years now um, Mm. where you replace some of the all-purpose flour with rice flour. Okay. And it's the yeasted batter. Okay. Yeah. Um, So. In fucking credible. Like. You would not believe how much better <laughs> yeasted waffles are to uh, the baking powder ones. Um, oh, I'm sure. There's just this, like, richness and this, like, earthiness that comes out. Um, mm. And, and okay, so it does take a little bit longer with the fermentation. Oh, yeah. But sometimes good food takes time. Yeah, I mean, doing... Uh, doing sourdough and getting the flavors in in a sourdough. And the only reason it's really called a sourdough is even if it bakes, it may not be sour. It's because you're you're literally pouring in liquid yeast, yeah. right? Instead of using the dried yeast or or just a chemical reaction with uh, baking powder, baking soda to make air bubbles. Mm-hmm. And so you get a very different flavor. Um, and, and not to shade people who are using baking powder or baking soda, but like right. if you've never tried the yeast version, do it. Yeah. Do it yeah. just once. And I want to say there's there's a, a, a difference. Uh, like, I'm totally going to try the yeasted version. But um, <laughs> there's also a difference in the surface you cook on. Like, we were talking yeah. about how different the the with pancakes and whatever the griddle is from doing it in, like, an aluminum pan mm-hmm. on the stovetop. Um, I have a pizza stone mm. that lives in my oven. Yeah. And I don't take, like... When I if I'm making a sourdough, I don't take it and put it on parchment paper on a thing and then slide it in. I slap that sucker straight on the pizza stone. Oh my god! Right, because the pizza stone has that consistent heat, and you'll get sort of that lower crust that's just just right. Ah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Versus trying to do it with like a a a a, a bread pan where right. if it's an aluminum bread pan. The heat just goes straight past the the Correct. the pan into the bread, and you don't get the same crust. Like right. 
making baking your own bread is all about the crust. If I want bread without crust, I'll go buy Wonder Bread. Yes, I know what you're thinking. And actually, I don't buy Wonder Bread. I buy white wheat. But that's a whole other thing. <laughs> because there's a place for ultra stupid, soft, uh, almost cake-like white bread. That yes. is tomato sandwiches. Um, or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Or peanut butter and jelly. Or maybe even just bologna sandwiches. But right. Or grilled cheese. Or grilled cheese. Oh my god, that's yeah. No, Ursula's always like, I'm buying. <laughs> I, I have the bread for the grilled cheese, and I'm looking at it, it's that like nice firm sourdough or whatever, and I'm like, this is not how you make grilled cheese. <laughs> the crust is going to be all wrong. Yes, and it's not going to. No, no. But I mean, yeah, you, you can need make it that. Pretty white slice for that. Yeah. Right. Or or uh, um, what is the the sabata the the already the ciabatta, yeah. yeah the 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 thin and spongy not the you know, I am a manly crust that you're going to have to fight your way through. <laughs> for, for the listeners at home, um, there's an orange cat that seems to be oh, wandering across the desk. That's tiny orange. She does that. Yeah. She hasn't <laughs> climbed on my shoulders to clean my head yet, which uh, which she waits for. It's not a work call, so she won't do that. Also, you're wearing a hat. No, I'm not wearing a hat. I'm, I'm wearing oh. I, I, I have uh, I wear buff head wraps. Or, or buff uh-huh. wraps because they're they're quick, they're easy, they clean, and um, as a bald man in the south, um, I have had sunburn on my scalp once, oh, oh. and I never want to do that again. Um, also, I have discovered that if I don't have something to, uh, on days like today where it's ninety five percent humidity and ninety degrees outside, oh. yeah, that's average. Um, if I don't have something to wick the sweat and the water away, um, <laughs> I, I'm carrying around an ocean just dribbling down the back of my neck onto my onto my shirt. It's it's uh, just a thing. I mean, I have a whole variety of hats, but this is something I can throw on um, and and go. And ninety five percent humidity is normal. Eh, Eighty to ninety in the summer. Yeah, you could chew the fucking air. Yeah. Yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, the year, and and by the way, if people don't think that humidity or whatever and climate doesn't impact your cooking, you you need to rethink oh, that. Oh, it fully does. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, no, the year we had the the really bad summer in New York. Uh, I was there. I want to say the summer of '95, mm-hmm. where it was basically two weeks of eighty to ninety degree weather, and that. Mm-hmm. You know, you know how you get that morning humidity in the city and oh, near yeah. the rivers? Yeah, that wasn't stopping. So it was oh. like that all day long. So just that muggy and whatever. And um, part of me was like, well, this is, it's just like being at home. Um, <laughs> it's summer at home. I don't see what everybody's complaining about. Um, but because it's the city and it doesn't have the breeze, it doesn't have the, the right. soil and whatever it became oppressive um, yeah. much more. So, I mean, people think, Oh, that just sounds so oppressive. Yeah. No, it's kind of damp when you go outside and, and it's, and anywhere else you would feel like you had, we were swimming to the car and then swimming mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, we're, we're in the woods, there's a breeze, things move, right. there are trees, there are things that are absorbing that liquid, even though it's right. technically 95% humidity. Um, I will never forget being in Dallas. And hearing um, some friends complain about how muggy it was and how humid it was. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, bitch, it's 30% humidity. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? And they're like, oh, God, it's so muggy. And I'm, no. Right. I, I, of course, after like a week there, I get home. And I'm like, why is everything wet? <laughs> um, it's because I'm not used to 80, 90% humidity anymore. Right. Um, 
so no, that's normal. The chickens are the chickens will be out there panting and, and drinking, but they're also like pre-insulated. Um right. you know, the dogs with their fur or whatever, I'm just like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna sweat some and it's it's a little bad. Uh, when direct sunlight, like it's cloudy today, when it's direct sunlight and the sun's beating down on you and you're sort of boiling in it, you're actually being steamed like a lobster in it, then it's kinda bad. Yeah. It's kinda bad. But if if there's you know, if there's some shade, some clouds or whatever, it's not as bad as one could think. Thinking of boiling lobsters. <laughs> That's a hell of a thing. I, I know people do it. I've never done it myself. I, I can't um, blame you. Yeah. But I mean, grim. yeah, uh, but the, the whole there's there's a school of cooking where you just boil it until it's done. Right. And while I can appreciate that from a practicality standpoint, it all comes out to be sort of like a similar mush. Why? Why was that? Or was it just right. the practicality? Well, I feel like um, they didn't know any better. <laughs> <laughs> because the French like to steam theirs. They don't right. boil. Yeah. Um, and apparently it's a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. Rather abstract concept for me, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I want to know about you... Uh, in the kitchen because um, I'm curious because you have a kid. Well, I mean, I don't have a kid anymore. I have a teenager. He's almost teenager. an adult. He's going to be 18 in, in a couple months. Holy fuck. Right? I know. I know. And I'm you like, had two at one point. Yeah, his, brother's, his brother turns 21 in like a week. Oh my fucking God. Yeah, no. But, well, no, the good news is apparently my ex-wife and I planned this just right in that our youngest will turn 18... Before either of us turn 50. Nice. So he'll be off to college before I turn 50. I had a friend in New York who had his, like, fourth kid when he was, like, 45. And I'm like, dude, dude, you have what are you doing? fucked up on the timing. <laughs> By the time this kid is out of college, you're not going to be able to retire until you're, like, 70. Dude, <laughs> what the fuck have you done? Right? Um... Well, he knew what he did, and his ex-wife was uh, his now ex-wife was significantly younger than him at the time, closer to my age okay. than yeah. So it was like, yeah, um, dude, still, still, dude, dude. Um, <laughs> what were you fucking thinking? Oh, I know what he was fucking thinking. Um, but, <laughs> but I mean, but so there. But that's the thing, right? When the kids were younger, um, it was uh, very different than as they've gotten older, like. As they've gotten older, like, Ray expressed, the older of the two, Raymond expressed some interest in learning to cook, and so we went over some of the basics, oh, cool. and he took a, a, a class at, at his high school, and, like, he learned some rudimentary things, and he's, his, Jacob is not interested at all, right? Okay. So I'm not, I'm not pushing it on either of them, I'm, I'm letting them sort of, um, find it on their own and ask advice, right? But mm -hmm. as as far as the actual practical, well, menu planning became very difficult. Mm -hmm. Because I can't, like, with with me and Ursula, I can say, hey, I want to try something new, and I'm going to do this, mm -hmm. and I'm going to do that. Um, when the kids were younger, they were much more of a, I don't like that. Uh, they, right. you know, the whole... Um, I'm not going to eat that. Or right. like Jacob had a real problem with potatoes for a while. What? I don't know. I don't know. But like potatoes, especially like uh, chunks of, of potatoes still with skin on it. Just, just 
whatever sort of a visceral reaction on him. I don't know what it is. He's better now. He'll eat French fries. He'll, he still doesn't kind of like chunks of potatoes with skin, but he's not like having a visceral reaction. It's much where I can slide this out of the way. Um, this is my incredulous shock face. Right. Well, no. Um, <laughs> look, all kids are different and all of them do these different things, right? Yes. Like, yes. Um, yeah, I know. A kid who doesn't like French fries, a kid who isn't interested in mashed potatoes. I know. Mind, mind blown, but. You know, uh, but on the other hand, for like uh, a while, it was like all I had to do was like I could have whatever I want as long as there were chicken nuggets somewhere. And if there were chicken nuggets, the kids didn't give a fuck. Oh, right. You know, or he came to us. (laughs) Jacob came to us after after I was getting back from after I came back from the new hire thing in California. Mm. And well, no, it was when I got back from China and I'm picking up a him up at school and he's like oh thank god you're home i'm like (laughs) um hello to you too but he's like can you cook can you like cook dinner he was staying i mean my dad was staying here and making sure he was fed um but he's like i just nothing against your dad and and stuff but i i really really you cook and i would like a, a meal that was cooked it was uh ursula's like well we can just get a whole bunch of frozen pizzas and leave them for him and he's like I need more than frozen pizzas. She's like, there's a teenager who won't try to live off of frozen pizzas. (laughs) I'm like, I know, but, you know, we can't all live off frozen pizzas and ramen. Well, in in a way... um, I mean, we can. I I feel like part of it is Mm -hmm. I don't want to just eat crap, frozen food, whatever. Right. But part of it is because you made it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like with food, it's one of those things where it's like there's this like visceral like um, connection that you get with someone when you cook for them Mm. that you'll never get from eating a restaurant meal or like something frozen or whatever. So like there's there's friends of mine who they have my recipes, they have my book, they they've watched me make this dish a million and a half times. I've I've coached them through making it themselves. <laughs> right. Um and they know how to make it and they cook my recipes, but like for some reason when I make it it's different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's almost like um you know how like sometimes you want the approval of a specific person, be it yep. a parent or a teacher or a mentor or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um Everybody else on the planet could say that you're the best, but until you hear that person say it, it's mm-hmm. not the same. Right. And I feel like with food, um, more than the nourishment that it provides our bodies, it's, mm-hmm. it's also sort of like a very like connecting factor between people. Oh, absolutely. And I, I um, and there's a whole culture around sitting down for the meal, and yes. you know, and that whole uh, the the whole thing. I admit we've reached the point where um, dinner time rolls around and Jacob's just like, I'm going to go eat in my room. And I'm like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But we're not, it's not, we're, we're no longer in a place where um, the only time the family sees everybody is at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. I work from home. He goes to school. I drive him to school until he gets a driver's license. I pick him up. Um you know, he's downstairs, I'm in my office. There's there's a lot of interaction that's happening now right. that didn't happen even 20 years ago. Right. Where, you know, I would go off to work. Well, God, yeah, it's been 20 years. Shit, 
been almost 20 years. It's been fucking 20 years. Yeah, no, but I would go to work and I'd be gone all day, right? And Mm. my ex, maybe she was home. Yeah, right around that time, she was doing the full-time mom thing um, and uh, pregnant with Jacob. Um, No, wait, that wasn't until about late 2000, early 2001. Anyway, um, Mm -hmm. but like... I would I would go to work. I would be gone all day. She would uh, uh, Ray would go to to preschool. He would be gone a large chunk of the day. And when she was working, my ex wife was gone a large part of the day. So right. there was like this time where until about six p.m. when I got home, when we all got home and whatever, literally had not seen each other. Right. And in a a societal sense, um, that that continued. That, that is something that happened even from the agrarian times. Like, yeah, Paul would get up and he would go out to deal yeah. with the cows or whatever at dawn. And right. maybe he'd be in the fields or whatever, and you wouldn't see him all day. And the kids would go to school, the ones who went to right. school. Or they'd be at other parts of the field and, and Ma would be dealing with the dishes and the cooking and the, yeah. you know, all of the, the homesteady things. And so until that that big central meal where everybody was there, you didn't see each other. Correct. Um, and I think, so there's, there is a communal aspect to that big meal, right? Yeah. And one of the reasons we like to do it when we do, you know, family gatherings or uh, business mm-hmm. gatherings, man, there's, there's a, a thing where, you know, um, your department or whatever gets together and you always go out for dinner, like a big dinner, yes. right? And it's, it's sort of, a, it's a communal thing. It's, it's that whole breaking of bread together yes. kind of concept. Um and I'm not saying, as the kids have gotten older, I'm not saying that that's any less important. It's just that the rules have changed. Yes. Right. It's it. We don't. There. There's. We. We have a sense of of that same community because, like, uh, summer vacation. Jake's with his mom right now. Jacob's with his yeah. mom right now. Um. But you know, during the week when I'm working, Ursula's working, and he's not in school. I mean, there's a constant interaction. Lunch, da, 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 da. Yeah. There's, I, I don't feel that same need to pull everybody together and, and have bonding time. Um, Absolutely. Because you're doing it all day. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's one of the things that, that people miss is part of the idea of that big meal of getting together and having it all in that big spread is is that, that sense of community, that bonding, mm-hmm. that, that you know, um, the sort of love and, and giving and, and taking and, and gratitude and all the things that go into that of someone has cooked for you and you're appreciating it and, and all of that, that doesn't necessarily need to apply Um if you're doing it sort of in a, in a minor update and right. So I'm, I'm aiming this specifically to people like, well, why, why don't, you know, it used in my day at dinner, we would sit and we would discuss our day. Yeah. That's because at dinner, you didn't fucking see each other until right. dinner. And then after dinner, you were going to go to your study and you know, your wife was going to be ended up cooking and cleaning and your kids were going to have to mm-hmm. go do their homework or go to bed or whatever. So the only family time you would have is weekends and dinner. Right. Right. And I'm not going to use that term because Ursula will punch me. Now it's a much more integrated approach. I was going to say holistic, but she almost hit me this this past week on, on Productivity Alchemy when I used it. But it's it's a much more integrated yeah. approach um, in that we don't feel the need for that central piece uh, around a meal because that isn't the only touch point during the day. 
Well, and the game has changed because, yeah. like, um, what you and Ursula do with regards to working at home, that's mm-hmm. exactly the same situation with my big brother. Um, he and his wife both work from home. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the kids go to school, but, like, in the summertime, they're all, everybody's home. Right. Um, so they really don't have this pressing need to have, like, communal meals. Like, yeah. My sister-in-law will cook, um, and then everybody serves themselves throughout the day as as needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time I've gone down there, like it's it's just a normal part of the life that like you you eat when you're ready, not when everyone says you have to. Yeah. Which I think, um, to be frank, is is a little healthier than what we used to have, where it's like everybody has to sit down right now. Mm-hmm. I fucking hated family dinners. <laughs> Um, I'm not going to lie. Like I, I love my family. I love Mm -hmm. hanging out with them. That's not the issue. It's more so that like, I tend to be, um, a multiple meals throughout the day kind of guy. So I can maybe clear a half a cup to about a cup of food at a time. Mm -hmm. That's my limit. And, and then I'm full and I'm, and I'm good. Um, but chances are, I'm going to be hungry in another hour and a half. So I'm going to eat again and again, Mm -hmm. like throughout the day. That's just how I function. Um, Family meals were fucking stressful because it's like everybody is taking so goddamn long to get through (laughs) massive piles of food. And I just want to go back to my room and read my fucking book. Um, I've finished already. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the thing. That's why I, I like it as a, as a celebratory, sometimes thing yeah right where yes it's a big holiday and we're all getting together and this is when dinner is and and there's the big spread but like when i was younger uh, years ago in the 1980s (laughs) you know and dinner was that was that touch point in the day when we were all sort of in the same place and not scattered or whatever it was it, it became sort of that central hub where we would um where it was, you know, here's the news of the day. Here, how was your day? How was your day? What's going on? Um, here's where dad is going to recriminate you for having bad grades. Um, <laughs> it's neither here nor there. Um, dad, I'm just kidding. You you always waited until after and in my room to berate me. Um, right. <laughs> but too real, too real. Yeah. Um, but the the whole. But the whole concept of that is I, uh, uh, keeping it as the, the celebratory, the big celebratory thing, and not like everybody has to be here at a specific time with a specific thing. Um, I'm not going to say it's dated, but I think it depends on your situation. Well, and frankly, yeah. at this point, it's a little bit outmoded, too, because it's like yeah. our lives have gotten to the point where we have more than one touch point. So, like – right. I keep in touch with my family and my friends and everything else on Facebook, like multiple times a day. Um, I know you and Ursula live on Twitter pretty much. So like, but you and Mastodon now and Mastodon. Yeah. Right, right, right. (laughs) But like all y'all have like multiple points of contact throughout the day. So it's not as pressing a need to like have that moment. That said, I do love a holiday meal. Oh yeah. a hundred percent down for that shit mm-hmm. where it's like there's a ton of food out and I get to graze on little nibbles throughout the day. Um, mm-hmm. and nobody's mad because like, um, my, my best friend is Italian and, um, their big thing is Christmas Eve. Oh yeah. Um, uh, and there is food 
everywhere all like, the time yeah oh yeah entire time so this um gathering will last about like six seven eight hours mm-hmm. and you're nibbling and grazing throughout the entire time and i'm like this is paradise and people I come and it. people go and people come back and yep. yeah 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 yeah. you yeah. know it's it's much more of a, of a party than a meal right or than a meal exactly yeah. exactly uh, thanksgiving same- is is sort of a different thing thanksgiving is a specific meal with a specific purpose but you all get sure. together um now that's not to say i don't graze beforehand uh <laughs> as, as you know because or afterwards. or afterwards there's so many there's there's you know so many people and there's still some coming and going um but the centerpiece in that one is the meal much more than than some of the others right, right. um and, mm. and so actually speaking about holiday meals i think that would be an interesting uh line to go down and it's uh, it's it is um because the meal varies by holiday correct i think and but by the culture. planning is the same the planning is the same in a lot of ways because um i imagine your holiday meals would look significantly different from what my holiday meals would look like right but it's a similar level of um you're throwing this event uh, for a lot of people, mm-hmm. and you need to produce lots and lots of food. Yes. Yeah. Or at um, least enough uh, food appropriate to the number of people you're expecting. And then some. And then uh, some, just in case. <laughs> Absolutely. Because, uh, I'm, like I said, my friend Tasha is uh, Italian, mm. and like there's no such thing as enough. Like You make enough. <laughs> oh, no, that's true. To feed the goddamn army and their friends. So, like... Um, she had a moving out party. She's now moved to Austin. Um, mm. but on her moving out party, she had like one of those 12 quart lobster pots. Oh yeah. Um, we made one of those full of chili. Like, oh yeah. It, there weren't that many people coming, but she was like, we have all this food. We need to use it up or it goes in the garbage. So like fucking cook all the things, Dino, let's go. <laughs> so we went through like 15 pounds of potatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, which I did with um, uh, garlic oil. So yeah. what I do is um, I'll simmer garlic over very, very low heat um, in in oil, in, mm. in olive oil. Um, and I'll let it go for about like a half hour, you know, 45 minutes, something like that. And the garlic basically gets very caramelized on the outside and comes mm-hmm. Like completely soft. It's it, it's a little bit sweet. It's you know a and, and toasty. We should make the difference between frying in oil and yes. simmering in oil. Right. Very At different. Lowest heat. Lowest, very very yeah. lowest heat. Um, and you just let it bubble away, bubble away. But now all that flavor of the garlic is now infused through the oil. Mm-hmm. So I toast the potatoes with that oil um, and sesame seeds and salt and uh, red chili flakes and just roasted them in the oven until they were... I, I'm dreaming about them. They were so delicious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we made that giant-ass thing of chili. She had like a bunch of frozen veg that she had to use up. So, you know, I mm. did the typical thing where um, you toss in a little bit of oil um, and some herbs and spices or whatever, and then just nuke it for like five, six minutes and it's done. And, I, and done. Yeah. And done. And I think everybody should have that technique mm. in their back pocket because like if you're having dinner on a weeknight and you don't, have the energy to like you know do it on the stove or whatever pop it in the microwave the microwave is just a tool yeah and as long as you as long as you manage it properly you don't you don't have many of the problems with a a microwave like sure i used to eat microwave hot dogs all the time and they were always chewy on the ends because i was using (laughs) i was doing it wrong 
right? right? Um, or, you know, the, oh my God, in the eighties when the microwave came out or mm. became readily available and it was like, you can microwave everything in it and, yes. you know, you can do your, you can do your entire Thanksgiving meal in the microwave. Yeah. Well, yes, but you might not want to. The question is not, can you? The question is, should you? <laughs> right. And, and when we talk about party planning, I mean, specifically yeah. about doing parties or big meals, there are things you can make in advance and freeze and then use the microwave to reheat. Yes. And, you know, or like, uh, all right, confession time. I love me some Stouffer's lasagna. Okay. It's not great lasagna. Not going to lie. But, but it's solid. But it's solid and you get the big party size, family size, whatever one. Mm -hmm. And it's like dinner for all three of us plus lunch for two days. Yeah. Right. Um, but there are two ways to cook it. One is you just take it frozen whole and you put it in the oven and then, you know, my oven being what it is, cause it's older and it's, you know, it, they say 70 minutes, it's going to take more like two hours, three hours. Oh, right? geez. Okay. Right. Or you can thaw it in the microwave and then put it in. Yeah. Right. And thawing into the microwave might take 15 minutes, but then it only takes like an hour in yeah. the regular oven to get to the same place. Like that's an application for a microwave you can do like, uh, that, that works really well, especially with the big meals where it's like, yeah, I can make, um, I can make and freeze mashed potatoes. Yes. Right. And that's not going to have, it's not going to be like you, you don't pre-boil the potatoes and put them in the fridge overnight and mash them in the next day. That's a terrible idea. Yes. But if you make the mashed potatoes and then you freeze them and then you just reheat them, Different story. Um, and it works out really well. And that's a, a, wow. a, a great, well, I mean, you know, or you bake them, you, you rebake them to get mm -hmm. maybe a nice crusty top on them. Either way, you're not, you're not trying to scratch, make everything the day of, because if you're trying to scratch, make everything the day of, you're going to end up killing yourself yes. for a lot of and these everybody else. and everybody else. But if you've, if you can plan a little bit ahead saying, uh, it's like big event planning. I, we just did, um, Dorsai thing. Yeah. In Raleigh, I was the person in charge, and our friend Tina came down a week in advance, and she was in charge of the of the con suite, and like a week in advance, she started cooking, mm -hmm. right? And she was making cookies, and um, uh, my friend uh, Jacob came down, uh, Jacob Dawson Crimson, who was on uh, a couple years ago uh, mm -hmm. on the show, came down, he baked bread and biscuits um, day of, because that was it, but like, mm -hmm. Tina was making soups and freezing them and cookies yes. and freezing them and all this stuff and you know prepping vegetables and cheese and bagging them and putting them in the fridge or the freezer depending and so that when the time came it wasn't oh no i have to make a chili it was yeah. here is a bag of chili that i can set out or i can thaw in the microwave and pour into the slow cooker and have it reheat yeah right and there's a, a just that little bit of pre-planning Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it can be a lot of work when you're cooking for, you know, maybe 175 to 100 sure. people in advance like that. Sure. But that little bit of pre-planning, like on this day, I'm going to make the chili that I'm going to freeze so that I have it for Saturday night. Right. Makes a huge difference in reduction in stress. Absolutely. Right. You're spreading all of the work out over across uh, a week, two weeks. Sure. And breaking it into, oh my God, breaking it into manageable chunks. Yeah. You know, versus trying to get it all done at once in one big push, which will make you crazy. Yes. Yeah. Because I've watched people try to do that in one push, and it oh, was yeah. a fucking nightmare. Yeah. But again, utilizing, use the tools you have, like a microwave. Yeah. Or a slow cooker. 
or a slow cooker, or yeah. the air fryer, or like or the air fryer, the yeah. instant pot, or mm-hmm. whatever. Oh yeah, like what was it for the instant pot? I made uh, I made my vegan chipotle beans. And they're like, nice. it's too hot. You know, it's it's going to be too spicy. I'm like, but then it's not chipotle beans, right? Right. <laughs> this is the recipe and how it works. This is not. But it's so spicy. Did I not warn you? Did you not have it last time I was here? You do not. If you take out the chipotle. You change the recipe and it's not the yes. same beans anymore. Um, that smoky flavor is gone. Right, right. Yeah. The smoky flavor with adobo is really the important part in those beans. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can use any bean I want and not use black beans. Um, and it's all about the flavor in the soup. Mm-hmm. And the beans are sort of a carrier for the flavor. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so, like, say, for example um, – we're, we're coming up on, like, let's say 4th of July, for example. Um, there are certain things that you can make ahead of time that actually keep really, really well. Like you mentioned, chili is one of them. Beans is another one of those where oh, it's yeah. like you just set that fucker on the slow cooker, let it do its business, and you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, another one uh, is uh, if you're going to grill corn the day of just parboil them right quick. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. A couple of minutes. Um, <laughs> I, I add a few pinches of sugar to the water to just up that amp up that sweetness. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then that way you're not worried about like, is the corn going to stay fresh for the day of like, you've already got them partially cooked. They're going to finish on the grill a lot faster than, you know, if you're trying to do it from zero. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it's like the sous vide. Mm-hmm. Right. The the whole idea of the sous vide is you you cook it to that temperature, you hold it at that temperature, and then you just finish it whenever. Yeah. Right. So you don't have to do all that heavy duty cooking. Like, um, oh god, I I would do uh, bacon wrapped steaks. Mm-hmm. Right in the sous vide, they'd sit in the sous vide for four hours with all the yeah. and the fats and the all that stuff, and but they would stay at that medium rare temperature, and then at the very very end, uh, apply the blowtorch to to crisp it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the sort of thing you're thinking about when we talk about the big planning is what can you do in advance that just requires finishing touches? Correct. Like, um, like I can't necessarily do potato salad too far in advance. No, that needs to be fresh. Right. Um, but maybe I can do coleslaw. Sure. Because it's a different sauce and the, the fresh is it's sitting in the fridge. It isn't going to lose its crisp. Right. Right. Whereas with the potato salad, that Mm celery is going to let out so much water that you're going to have a sogged out mess when you're done. Right. Right. Unless you don't put in the celery till the end, but that's a whole nother. Which is an option to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it kind of changes the flavor if you put celery in. Um, Right. But uh, uh, eggs, deviled eggs. Deviled eggs are a huge thing in and around our house because we love deviled eggs. Mm Mm-hmm. And I make a mean deviled egg that I learned from my mother that I've been told I make better. Mom, if you're listening, I'm really sorry, but I've been told mine are better than yours. <laughs> um, by people who aren't, I'm who I'm not married to. Just saying. Right. Um, right. <laughs> anyway, the, the whole idea, though, is you can hard boil eggs days in advance. Yeah. Hard boiled eggs keep a really long time. Yeah. I mean, uh, admittedly, my eggs keep a really long time because they come from the chicken straight to the fridge and they can sit in the fridge for like two months before they even start to think about going bad. So, I mean, you know, there is a there is a freshness level there. But like I can hard boil eggs, all the hard boiled eggs a week in advance. 
Right. Or even two days in advance. Too, yeah. You can probably even do the hard boiled eggs in the in the sous vide machine and let that fucker sort it out for you. So the thing I found with with hard boiled eggs and the sous vide versus the instant pot versus just putting a big fucking pot of boiling water out there with <laughs> eggs in it. Um is that it all depends on the egg. Mm. Right? So like if I go to the store, if I'm hard boiling eggs and, and this is this is a whole bunch of technique from what I've learned, just experimenting, Good. right? If I go to the store and I buy, like, white eggs yeah, or brown eggs, typically uh, white eggs are going to be from a, a leghorn chicken of some sort. Mm-hmm. Either a brown leghorn or a white leghorn. They're, they're, these are the chickens that are most common because they're an industrial breed. They're good for meat and eggs. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, and they're really easy to keep. The strong, independent chicken is a brown leghorn. She wears she uh-huh. she lays your traditional white eggs. Okay. Right? The thing about leghorn eggs, I've found, is that they're designed around the idea that they are not going to be used immediately. Okay. They they're are meant to keep. They're meant to keep. They're meant to ship. The same way, mm-hmm. you know, tomatoes aren't quite the same anymore because the tomatoes have been bred for shipability versus, uh. yeah, exactly, which is why heirloom tomatoes have such a different flavor from what you buy yeah. in the grocery store and because they, the ones in the grocery store are made to be red and to be shipped. The eggs from the leghorn are made to be shipped and stored, Got not it. not used immediately. So if I'm going to hard boil an egg, I want either store-bought eggs Mm-hmm. That I'm are sitting and going to sit in my fridge for a week, okay. Just because of the physical properties of the membrane and all that stuff. Yes. Or, um, I'm going to get like the fresh brown eggs from whatever chickens out there because those eggs are are they're they're for a different use case, right? They still okay. keep, but they boil so much better than like than the leghorn eggs for whatever reason. The fresh leghorn eggs. Mm-hmm. Um. So if I if what I found though is if I do it in the sous vide, if I do it in the instant pot, um, it's so precise and specific that even though they're like you should have it at just this particular temperature, um, like the yolks will be just on that edge of underdone, mm-hmm. um, or the like the outer edge of the whites sometimes on that on that they're done but they're wet and Ugh. don't yeah so. When I'm making hard-boiled eggs, I'll be honest, I, I overboil them. Okay. Because I want them to be peelable. I want them to, to I want the yolk to be completely done. If there's a little mm. green edge around the yolk, whatever. Nobody it's cares. Fine. Yeah, nobody cares. Um the the moment it goes into a into a deviled egg and I've mashed it up and I've added the uh sweet relish, the mustard, yep. and the mayo, yep. nobody can tell that maybe that was nope. a little overdone. Yeah. And the important thing on a deviled egg is that the the deviled egg filling has at least a right a, a reasonable color and that the whites look good, mm-hmm. right? And aren't slimy on the outside because for whatever reason they're cooked, but it doesn't behave right, which is the mm-hmm. problem I have with the fresher eggs. Or, you know, or God, you went to peel it and the membrane is still stuck, so it pulls chunks right. off with it. And, right. um, and I know there are techniques for doing that. My my favorite technique for dealing with that and keeping it from happening is just let the eggs sit in the fucking fridge an extra week. They're oh, okay. not going to go bad. Well, because right? then that space in the bottom expands a bit. Oh, it expands a bit. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Like if I'm frying eggs, if I'm um, soft boiling eggs, oh, the fresher the fucking better. Right. Right. If I'm hard boiling eggs, I, I kind of want them to age and mature a little bit. 
<laughs> give the give the membrane time to separate. Uh, give the give the uh, um, the a little bit more of an air gap mm. inside the egg. And if yeah. I'm doing something like uh, like deviled eggs, I mean, I don't care if the yolks are a little overcooked. Nobody's going to know. Because no, they're the, you're going to mash it up with all that shit anyway. Yeah, and the the other flavors are going to blend with it, and it's going to be great. If I'm eating a straight hard boiled egg, yeah, I might know, but sure, it's not it's not that big a deal, right? Right? Um, It'll be fine. It, it's it's fine. Um, but yeah, no. So I keep you can do hard boiled eggs two weeks in advance, three weeks in advance. Wow. No, I've got I've got hard boiled eggs in there that I made for Ursula there in the back of the fridge that she's been eating, but I boiled them before we I left for California, like three weeks mm-hmm. ago. They keep, right? Right. I mean, God, if I you know, it's not like pickled eggs where the longer they're in the pickling, whatever, the more pickled they're going to get. Uh, Although I am going to probably take some of those and throw them in some pickling solution later because <laughs> pickled eggs are are the bomb. Um, I think I need to go buy beets for that. I think I'm out of beets, though. Um, hmm. I do the beet p- pickled eggs. I will. I will share my grandmother's recipe in a minute. But but the whole yes. idea around around hard boiled eggs is they keep they keep a lot longer than you would think. And the same with just fresh eggs. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. But and then hard boiled eggs. You can make deviled eggs. You can make pickled eggs. You can just slice them and put them in a salad. There's something that's easy to have around. You can make in advance. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing a big event, which is where we started with all of this, yes. yes. Um, you know, they're there and they're ready in advance for your potato salad, your egg salad, your whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and that's that's the thing about these big events is that mm-hmm. um, I think that egg tip is is a good one for people who eat them. Mm-hmm. Um, just have them parked there. Yeah. And on the day of, you're not stressing about it. It's right. not a thing you have to deal with. Yeah. And, you know, even if it's the day before, I can make the filling for the uh, deviled eggs the day before and just fill them. Yeah. Right. Day of. Or I can. Right. I, I, yeah. Or like, yeah, OK, I'm making the potato salad fresh, but I can just dice the eggs, throw them in. Right. You know. Right. You don't eat eggs. So it's a it's a different story. No, sure, sure, sure. But like with yeah. potato salad, mm-hmm. like what's to stop you from just boiling the potatoes at a time? Uh, starch. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, because the the starches, what I found, it's the same thing I found doing boiling the potatoes ahead of time for the mashed potatoes uh-huh. is that. Uh, they the, gelatinize, don't they? They they gelatinize, or the starches come out. So now you you don't have that balance. You want when you're doing potato salad, you want to do at least the potatoes day of, because okay. you want them to be not mushy, not over, not have the starch kind of drawn out. You want them right on that tacky edge, mm-hmm. right? Where they'll absorb the dressing, right? And not and not uh, like trying to do it ahead of time. The mashed potatoes, it's like yeah, no, I've lost the starch, and it just doesn't quite mesh like if i did the whole mashed potatoes ahead of time it's great if i mm-hmm. boil the potatoes the day before and then go to make mashed potatoes the next day uh, you might as well it, it just doesn't work the same i feel like sweet potatoes work the same way where it's like um if you mash the sweet potatoes ahead of time and throw them in the freezer it's fine yeah. uh, but they're not so great if you you know just boil them or roast them or whatever and then put them in the fridge and then expect them to do what they do. One exception I found to that rule is that if you roast the sweet potatoes whole mm-hmm. um, with nothing on them, just like right. dry sweet potatoes, just throw them in the oven rack and let them park for about an hour, hour and change at uh, 350. Um, the skins kind of blow out from the yeah. flesh um, and they get super intense sweet. Like they're, 
that 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 sweet potatoiness gets more intense. Mm. They keep in the fridge for ages, and yeah. you yeah. just have to microwave them, and you're done. It's it's all about it's it's all about knowing the 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 food itself, and mm-hmm. that's maybe and that's something I think I've touched on in the past, but I I have I don't think we've talked about here is know your ingredients. Yes, taste everything. <laughs> yes. Unless you're allergic to it. And if you're allergic to it, why are you fucking cooking with it? Right? But, you know, if if you don't know what it tastes like, then it's really hard to yeah. cook with it. You know? There's this... Um... There's this uh, anime um, called uh, Yakitate Japan where this guy is on the quest to make um, uh, bread. Oh. Because, of course. Of course. And he goes into bread competitions and wins them and all this shit. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And one of the uh, characters is, um, you know, testing his son by saying, like, who's the first person you feed a new recipe to. And the answer is you feed it to yourself first. You want to taste it and make sure it's right. Yeah. And then you give it to anybody else. Um, If you're not tasting while you're going along, you're, you're never going to quite get the grasp of what it's supposed to be like. Right. And if uh, I'm, I'm cutting, when I'm cutting onions, I'll throw a piece of onion in my mouth to Uh see what that, because every onion's a little different based on, yes. Um, the kind and where it was grown and all that stuff. So you want to have that baseline. Like, is this going, is this a super hot, which means it's going to be significantly sweeter mm-hmm. when you cook it than if it's already a mild onion. Right? right. So do you need to make adjustments for that? Or, Oh my God, never worked with kohlrabi. Like the mm-hmm. first time I worked with kohlrabi, I'm throwing slices of raw kohlrabi into my mouth just to see. Right. Right. To figure what out is this thing. What is this thing? How can I make it better? Um, right. Plus, you don't realize things like uh, raw beets have a little bit of a radishy flavor, mm-hmm. you know, but when you cook them, they turn sweet and you need to know those differences because right. it, it really impacts how you how you treat a food. Well, and it double goes for um, uh, jalapeno chilies. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Some taste like cucumbers. Some are going to melt your face off and you need to know the difference. And Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like... Um, and there are so many factors. Believe me, I know all about the factors in, in making hot peppers hot versus sweet versus not hot. And, mm-hmm. you know, like in our yard, because peppers are also big old sluts. Yeah. And we'll crossbreed cross- with everyone. Every other pepper in your in your thing. We mm-hmm. had a year where all of the jalapenos were mild like anchos and all of the anchos were melting your face off. <laughs> right. Or um, we had, uh, uh, oh my God, shishito peppers. Uh, uh, most amazing small peppers usually very sweet pan pan fry them with a little olive oil a little salt a little pepper done um mm-hmm. don't even have to have to do that far just to like wilted maybe a little char yeah the but in general a very mild pepper mm-hmm. one out of every 20 is a melt your face off oh god so they're constant pepper roulette which is fine with me because overall i mean we'll just fry them and eat them just like right. by hand as like a snack or as a side dish at dinner. But, you know, there's a little chance that maybe that one is going to be the hot one. And it's right. it's the hot one for everybody else. So it's making up for everybody else. <laughs> They're amazing, but you can't you can't necessarily judge one based on. Correct. Yeah. Um, it's the consistency where peppers, where there, someone is growing a specific variety of pepper in a specific thing to make sure that they aren't being cross-pollinated with any other pepper. Um you know, like the the reapers, which we will never grow again. 
Um, for whatever reason, what? Ursula also grows hot peppers. I mean, it doesn't matter what the pepper is. It comes out hot. Um, was that was that part of the reason why you got that capsaicin poisoning that one time? Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> Thinking of back, we will be back next week with more talk about cooking and prep. And I still have two pages of notes that I took during this talk with Dino, and it was so much fun. I always appreciate Dino taking the time to talk to us and to be able to share it with you. So I hope you all enjoyed it. And if you didn't, well, then I hope you just fast forwarded to this part of the episode where I will tell you this week's badge code. And this week's, ba bleh, this week's badge code is cooking1. That's cooking in the number one. And you can find out more about what badge codes are and what they do and how cool they really are at productivityalchemy.com under badges. Hey, isn't that awesome? And uh, I think that's it for this week. We're going to go fall down and continue to try to recover. And I should say, uh, we we lost a great today. We did. Rutger Hauer passed away. We did. And I want to go watch Lady Hawk in his honor. But not, but not uh, Blade Runner. I'm one of the few standouts out there who, frankly, thinks that Blade Runner is interesting. But uh, I never have any desire to see it again. That's fair. It, That's fair. It, and don't get me wrong, normally everyone's like, well, the book was so much better than the movie. Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep is kind of painful shit. It really is. I um, mean, it's, it's... It's a slog, and there were some interesting things, actually, that did not make the movie, that could not have made the movie. No. Uh, and... Eh. I mean, as as with so many things, conceptually... There was a lot going on in Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. In execution, doing it pure based on the book would have been a terrible movie. Well, and the thing is that I actually believe that Philip K. Dick is one of the few authors who the movies are universally better than the books. Because or, uh, Philip K. Dick, uh, frankly, I hate his writing and I hate all his characters. His plots were fascinating. And when you take away the fact that all of his characters were terrible people, actual human actors make them interesting and likable, and you want to spend time with them as opposed to get me out of this book as quickly as possible. I may have opinions about Philip K. Dick because my ex-husband made me read a lot of it. Do not ask me about Vallis. I will tell you what I think. So, uh, All that being said, uh, I agree with you in large parts. Uh, the... The Man in the High Castle adaptation by Amazon had has compelling characters. It has reasons to come back even after the first season wraps up, mostly wraps up that plot line. And yet, and yet, 
it's it's just all I can say is wow, it's it really really good. Lady Hawk is better than Blade Runner. Fight me. I believe you. I'm pretty sure it's also better than Priest, which is a later Rutger Hauer film that you probably never heard of. I heard of Hobo with a Shotgun. Oh, Hobo with a Shotgun was great. Oh my god, we should watch that. Uh, Hobo, <laughs> Hobo with a Shotgun was was like everything you kind of love about a Rutger Hauer action movie, except, and it, the title is everything it says it is. It's like Snakes on a Plane, only years earlier. Only, uh, no, I think it came after Snakes on really? a Plane. Really? Yeah. Holy shit, he must have yeah. been like. Up there. Then again, no one told me how long Snakes on a Plane has been out. I already feel old enough today. Right. Uh, but he was, no, that was. He Rutger was, Hauer was 75 when he died. Yeah, he was not a young man in Hobo with a Shotgun. But the title, the, the title says everything you need to know about the movie. And then the movie actually delivers. It's not like, oh, that's a great title and whatever. And it's going to be shit. Oh my God. It was ridiculously stupid fun. I will just point out that Lady Hawk came out in the 80s yep. when I was a preteen. Yep. And Rutger Hauer was on a very pretty horse. Yep. And that's pretty much, uh, uh, yeah, that's that's all I wanted. Pretty that much may wraps still it. all yep. be all I want. <laughs> Do I need to get a pretty horse? I can't afford a pretty horse. Oh, horses are really loud, large and smelly and yes. a lot of work. So, no. They really are. Okay. So we're going to leave it at that for this week. We will be back with Dino next week. And hopefully we will be retiring after next week's episode for something a little more uh, cheerful. Oh, is next week's episode going to be deep and heavy? Next week we start to get into the deep stuff. But I mean much more along the lines of we're not going to celebrate the life of our favorite actor who passed today after next week's episode. Oh, that, yes. I hope, knock on wood. Anyway, if you enjoy this podcast... I named a town after Rutger Hauer in my last book. If you like our podcasts, you can support us on Kofi at Kofi.com slash KSunny. That's K-S-O-N-N-E-Y. You buy me a coffee, it's what keeps me going, and I will make sure to share with Ursula. There's also Patreon slash Ursula V. A new novella will be coming very soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, yeah, yeah. And then and we don't bother you. We just make the podcasts. We yeah, that's really <laughs> pretty much all we do. A podcast and podcast accessories are what we do with the <laughs> Patreon money. And uh, and occasionally get a free book. Right. Yeah. I personally think the podcast accessories right now include the prescriptions we're both on from doing the food podcast. Well, I was always going to be on the expensive acid reflux. That's true. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. That's it for this week, folks. We hope you had a good one. Uh, We hope you enjoyed the interview. And until next week, stay productive. Let's go listen to some really bad synthesizer music. Fine.